0: Welcome to Rose Tinted, a podcast where we challenge the limits of our nostalgia by re-examining some of our favorite childhood movies. I'm Ollie Chip
1: and I'm Paddy HK,
0: and today we will be discussing Casper.
1: How are you feeling today man how are you feeling about discussing this movie uh yeah
0: and good to get chucked back in at the deep end to be fair
1: yeah i remember you saying a few weeks ago you said something along the lines of i really want to tear a movie to shreds <laughs> i really want to watch a movie that we can just tear to shreds how is that decision sitting with you at the moment
0: yeah i think it's actually going to be tricky because where
1: do you start do you know what i mean that's sort of the difficulty i find with these kinds of movies yeah. is that there's just so much and i think it is often just a case of throwing whatever you can at the wall and seeing what sticks
0: it's not really the uh fish in the barrel type of criticism that you can do against this it's a bit pokemon movie in that way yeah
1: yeah a bit daunting almost yeah Well, yeah, so we are talking about uh, Casper today, the adaptation of Casper the Friendly Ghost. But before we get into that discussion properly, I'm just going to give a bit of background info to the uninitiated about this podcast. So, Ollie and I are old friends who decided to make a list of our favourite childhood movies so we can revisit them one by one to see if they still hold up to scrutiny. Uh, We've got some loose rules for our selection process. The movies have to bear some kind of significance to our childhood or early adolescence, and we try to only select movies that we have not watched since that time. So with that out of the way, Ollie, why don't you tell us a little bit about Casper?
0: Um, Okay, so Casper is a film released in 1995, uh, directed by Brad Silberling. I did a bit of research on him. Well, I say research. I googled his name (laughs) to see if anything came up. And it's all trash, really. Um, And this is the only film in his catalogue that I recognise. But looking at some of the scores for the other films that he's directed, it's not exactly Martin Scorsese. Let's put it that way. Mm. It stars Christina Rucci as uh, a young girl, Bill Pullman. Who's been in like... Half a million other films in 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathy Moriarty, Eric, Eric Idle, <laughs> for some reason, poor Eric, he must have had a big mortgage payment due that year. Yeah, uh, and uh, Malachy Pearson, who is a voice of the aforementioned Casper. Yes, um, it cost 55 million dollars to make this film, <laughs> um, which is insane,
1: <laughs> considering what it is. I think most of that budget probably went on set design. To be fair, I reckon, and I will touch on this a little bit. It later but i reckon most of it went on uh gratuitous cameos <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> yeah yeah
0: i forgot about that but yeah i think like the sets we'll talk about that shortly but yeah. the, the set's quite elaborate um mm. and it grossed near to 300 million us
1: dollars yeah uh, so very successful which is a joke
0: mm. um but yeah the general plot i'll just run through it as i always do when high schooler Kat moves with her widowed father to a new house for the ninth time, she hopes it'll be the last, her ghost therapist father has work, exercising an old mansion owned by a spoiled heiress, Carrigan Crittenden unfortunately, all is not well. The ghosts, namely Fatso, Stinky and Stretch, and their belittled sibling Casper, won't leave willingly. Luckily, Casper is a friendly ghost and wants nothing more than to make friends and help Kat and her father find peace. Don't put me off by laughing. Oh, dear. Even if it means overcoming his naughty brothers and dealing with the nasty and selfish Kerrigan.
1: Very good. Lovely summary, as always. Very succinct. I will note though that the other ghosts are not his brothers they are his uncles.
0: Oh, I didn't know what the fuck was going on half the time in this film, I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah, it's not the most memorable picture. Um and a little extra fact because I did a little bit of research on this movie before doing this episode, but a little extra fact. This is the first movie to ever feature a purely CGI protagonist.
0: Ah, oh, interesting.
1: Yeah. So that's probably why it was such a box office smash. It was literally, I think at that point Nobody had ever seen anything like that before And
0: everyone left the cinema afterwards going I hope I never see anything like that again
1: <laughs> I don't know, I think this was like Pretty wildly popular, you know And also, weirdly enough, still is Well regarded by fans Today, so in preparation for this episode I was going to call you about this earlier, but I wanted to Save it, but I read a Buzzfeed Listicle, so there's this uh, Journalist who's doing a similar thing to Us in terms of revisiting old movies From her childhood, and she basically Has been writing, like, about them sort of like literally just like bullet points of her reactions to the movie and she was still so enamored with this movie and it was just really funny because every point that she was like oh my god it's so cute it's so awesome was all of the points that i disliked about this movie can you send me the email
0: address because i'm going to send her a sharply worded letter (laughs) i'll have you know
1: (laughs) that your tastes are wrong uh, okay, you want my uh, my one-liner? Yeah, go on. Give me your one sentence summary as well, please. Yes,
0: a grieving family are perpetually harassed by a sexually frustrated preteen ghost, starring <laughs> Eric Idle.
1: <laughs> that is chillingly accurate. Chillingly accurate. <laughs> very good
0: Oh, what a pile of shit Um, so why has this made the list for you Paddy
1: well it's interesting because you just said uh, you couldn't really remember very much about it and I felt very much the same way going into this movie it can't be a very memorable movie because I didn't remember a whole lot going into it I remember I had it on video I think and I remember having some plastic McDonald's toys or something of the uncles something like that and I do remember enjoying it but I guess it was just something that I was intrigued to revisit because I knew it had an impact on me as a kid, but I genuinely couldn't remember anything about it. The one single thing I could remember about it was the scene where the dad dies, so Dr. James Harvey, he dies and he comes back as a ghost, and all I remember, I didn't remember how he died, I didn't remember the context of anything, I just knew that he died and he came back as a ghost, because I remember that freaking me out when I was a kid, because I must have been really young when I saw this. Yeah. you know I must have seen it just after it came out so I will have been like five or six yeah but that's literally all I had going into this movie what about you? Um, I think I saw the TV
0: series before I saw the film but the main thing I remembered from the film was just like the haunted house mm. I think that was the main thing I took from it I don't really know why it's on the list I think it's just one of those films that you sort of forget (laughs) do you know what i mean like it's a perfect film for this exact format that we've got it's just like one of those things that i think when we were coming up with our list initially trying to dig right down into the into the nitty-gritty of the early 90s Mm. um and i think that that that's a good reason to have it on the list because i remember fuck all about it and even watching it now I still don't quite know what the hell's going on most of the time. It's very erratic and strange.
1: Yeah, it's it's an odd little movie, isn't it? Really, really odd. It's an odd little movie that made £300 million at the box office.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And um, it's not even like some of the other financially successful films in that it's got particularly famous cast members that sort of like a star vehicle or anything like that. It's just sort of... A thing that exists. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's really odd. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, like I like I've just said, I don't really remember much. I just remember like the vividness of the haunted mansion.
1: Yeah, it's sort of almost like a kiddie horror movie. It's interesting that the haunted mansion stuck out to you, and like the death of the dad stuck out to me. I think it is literally like if someone went, how can we make a horror movie? For four-year-old <laughs> yeah. it would come out something like this yeah um but shall we get straight into it i know you know we've not been very subtle about our overall opinions of the movie <laughs> clearly we both think it's trash but why don't we give it a fair shake first shall we discuss some of the things that we actually enjoyed about the movie
0: uh yeah you can start this one mate because i have nothing So Paddy good stuff talk to me
1: (laughs) So this was quite a difficult list to make but I did find some stuff to enjoy and it's more to do with the movie's potential and some sort of ideas that struck me as being really interesting but didn't get explored enough and we'll probably cover that in greater detail when we talk about the changes that we would make to the movie but I'll just go through my list really quickly so first and foremost I actually really liked the opening scene so like the very very opening sequence I thought it was really promising and I thought oh this could actually be an interesting little movie so you see the Universal logo which is that big globe obviously and then it immediately fades into like an image of the full moon and I just thought that was a nice touch and a nice little introduction to the movie and then it shows you the haunted house the house that Casper is haunting and they use a miniature for that shot Mm -hmm. and the whole opening sequence is basically just this short little preamble to the film where these two teenagers break into the house and get scared by Casper and then run away Mm -hmm. and I just thought it was a nicely constructed intro there was some nice use of blue lighting for atmosphere they really got to show off the set Mm -hmm. and these two teenagers want to take a picture with their Polaroid camera and Casper while he's invisible grabs it off them and takes a picture of them and then you see the picture develop and it's these terrified teenagers faces in mid scream and then it sort of lets the opening credits roll and I just thought that was a nice intro to the movie and I was watching it and I was like that was actually really well executed and quite charming and I was just like yeah okay I'm ready to watch this movie now and obviously it didn't really deliver on that initial promise. (laughs) Quickly goes downhill after then. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, I thought, I've got to give it credit where it's due. So, yeah, that was the first thing. The second thing is, obviously, Dr. James Harvey, his job is he is a therapist for ghosts. And...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, how could anyone... You're right, you get a script through the post. Your good old Bill, right? And you get a script through the post and your agent rings you up and goes, I've just sent you this script Bill. Have a a little read through this. And you flick it through the pages and it gives you a little character bio and it says you're a widowed father of one and your profession is a ghost therapist how do you then go Yeah, all right. That sounds good. Let's go for that. (laughs) Well, um... Actually, don't don't answer that question. I know the answer, because immediately following the post is a check for about $8 million. And you're like, you know what, I can suck this up and do it. But what a
1: ridiculous, what a ridiculous title that is. But this is on my good list, because when it's showing him as being this therapist for ghosts, that really made me smile. And I was like, okay, that's a pretty charming concept. And if it was executed well enough it could have been really interesting mm. and uh, I just thought it was quite an original concept as well because normally when you have like ghost movies you've got like people coming to do an exorcism or you've got like people performing a seance and you've got like ghost hunters or Ghostbusters. two of those appear in this fleetingly yeah I know I know but then you've got like mediums and things like that and I just thought a therapist for ghosts is such an interesting concept and there could have been so many ways that they could have taken that in a comedic sense as well mm. so I-, I just really liked that idea and there was sort of um, it's exemplified by this news item so some local news TV station is doing a news item about him and like the news casters like asking him so why do you want to talk to ghosts and he's like I prefer the living impaired and I was just like oh my god that is fantastic but then his tagline at the end I just thought was just mega charming he's just like the living impaired are haunting us my question is what's haunting them I was on board for that I thought there was a lot you could have done with the concept it's just a real shame they wasted its potential so there's that for me and then I've got like a few more little bits and bobs but um, what about you did you have anything you wanted to mention specifically before I move on I like the set
0: design when they go down into the sort of like laboratory underneath the mansion there's sort of this um fairground ride type Mm. ordeal you could tell they'd put like quite a bit of time and effort into creating that set Mm. and that was probably why i remember it so vividly because it's well done Mm -hmm. um but apart from that i pretty much hated everything
1: all right okay Um, well (laughs) so blunt well okay that's good that I let you interject in the middle there because I didn't just want to talk for like 10 minutes and then have you come in with two minutes of commentary and then we just move on Um, so yeah got a little little bit of Ollie there which is good Um, so I agree I thought the sets were really cool really well designed Mm. the basement yeah I wrote down that it was like a theme park as well in fact a cynical person might argue they even constructed it with the theme park in
0: mind I was gonna say that but I was like you know what I'm gonna throw enough punches at this thing. I don't need <laughs> yeah. to go there. Um, it reminded me of Wallace and Gromit, though. Yeah, it's the same sort of principle, isn't it? As the wrong trousers, where he's designed a robotic sort of factory line to get him ready in the morning. Like
1: the previous owner of the house was like a scientist who's designed all these things. Well, yeah,
0: shaving machine, a toothbrush machine, a put on your bow tie machine. Yeah, it's,
1: it's cool. It's cute. And it's all practical as well, which makes it even better. Yeah.
0: And then when you throw Eric Guidel through it, it gets better. Obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm just going to rattle off these last couple of bits on my good stuff list, if you don't mind. Go for it. So I actually did really... I say really. When I say I really enjoyed something, I mean compared to the train wreck of stuff that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. So take that with a pinch of salt. But I did enjoy the chemistry between the father and the daughter. So the chemistry between Kat and Dr. Harvey I thought was very nice. Again, it's another element of the film that I think could have been explored more. There was way too much other stuff going on for them to really focus on it. But I think A, Christina Ricci, aka Wednesday Adams because she does play Wednesday Adams in the Adams family as well instantly recognizable she's a very appropriate casting choice for the daughter but like I found the chemistry between Kat and Dr. Harvey really nice they have a very warm genuine relationship and they share a number of believable one-liners and banter and back and forth and Mm -hmm. I generally quite like Dr. Harvey as well well Bill Pullman is a likeable guy isn't he he's got one of those faces that just make you want to give him a big hug yeah he's a very sympathetic guy he's like if Robin Williams Williams hadn't taken a bunch of cocaine throughout his life, basically.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think he's actually the alter ego of Robin Williams in some ways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. The guy just wants to settle down, talk to some ghosts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Does his taxes on time. (laughs) Has loads of spreadsheets for like
1: various outgoings, those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so yeah I generally liked his character aside from the fact that he drags his daughter all over the place he seems like a fairly (laughs) dedicated and patient dad so for example when Kat sees a ghost when she sees Casper for the first time obviously the dad believes in ghosts but he's still a bit cynical about it but he doesn't try to deny what she saw Mm. he instead tries to reassure her about sort of like the nature of ghosts and why they're here and what their purpose is and I just thought that was a nice little moment of parental reassurance he still reacts
0: like an absolute nutter though when it's revealed that it's true what Christina Ricci has seen. Yeah. I was expecting, because he is a ghost therapist, for him to react to seeing a ghost in a pragmatic, professional way. But what ends up happening is, like, he gives this lovely preamble where he's like, you know, there's nothing to be scared of, they can't hurt you, blah, 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 blah. Finds Casper and then immediately, like, loses his shit. And I'm just thinking, like, well, surely the character should approach... And that would be really refreshing, wouldn't it? Like, Mm. a character just, like, approaching the ghost and being like, you are right?
1: Yeah Well this movie seems to have Confused messaging On whether or not Ghosts are universally accepted In this universe Yeah Because I think The way that they're pushing Dr Harvey's character Is he says he's a therapist For ghosts He's like the ghost doctor But his whole reason For trying to be like a medium Is he's trying to get in touch With his dead wife Right Yeah So I think It's fair to assume He's never actually Seen a real ghost He's kind of like A bit in denial And like it's a bit of a sham Career for him You know he's a medium It can't be anything But a sham career And (laughs) like <laughs> and, and, and this is like I think it was sort of implied that it was the first time He's seen a proper ghost Inverted commas proper ghost by the way I'm not sure like Casper counts is a proper ghost Well maybe that's why he freaked out so much Because he's a shit ghost He's just a disturbing looking round Cartoon ghost Like he's probably more freaked out at seeing a cartoon in real life Than he is seeing a ghost <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, it's interesting because obviously he has that reaction But then when Carrigan and Dibs Who are the main antagonists of the movie When they first see a ghost So uh, Carrigan is the one who inherits the house mm. And then she finds out it's haunted And she's like, right, better get rid of these ghosts And she looks through a window when she's going to the mansion And she sees the ghosts and she's like, fuck these ghosts We're gonna get rid of them And she just has zero reaction And so the movie just seems to really be a bit inconsistent In terms of how people respond to ghosts In this universe <laughs> That That's the uh, the
0: unpublished Ghostbusters tagline Ghostbusters Fuck these ghosts
1: <laughs> you got to get rid of them <laughs> Fuck these fucking ghosts man <laughs> oh. Um yeah so I like Dr Harvey's character. I like that he stands his ground to the uncle ghosts and is able to stop them from pushing him around. So he meets them for the first time and they try and bully him and I like that he he stands his ground and he has a sword fight with them like he's using a plunger while they're using swords and then he sucks them up with a hoover and he's just got a lot of moxie and I admire that in a ghost <laughs> therapist I suppose. Um at that point he is the embodiment of fuck
0: these ghosts, let's get rid of them.
1: Yeah, literally. Literally. Um, and then the final thing I want to touch on which is something I'll also want to expand on when we talk about our changes in the first half of the movie there are some small moments where the movie attempts to tackle the idea of death and the afterlife in a way that's palatable for children and I think it does it in some pretty effective ways so there's a moment where Kat is talking to Casper and she's like what are you made of and he says you know that tingly feeling when your foot falls asleep I'm made of that and I thought that was like quite a cool way of boiling down an abstract concept, even if it doesn't make any actual sense, but it felt like um, like a bit like Roald Dahl or something like that. It was a nice way of boiling down that concept for children in a way that they can understand. And there's another moment where Cat says, what's it like to die? At which point I was like, Jesus Christ, this movie's asking the real questions. Um, but Cat's like, what's it like to die? And Casper's like, it's like being born, but backwards. And I also like, I like that response. Again, though, it makes absolutely no sense when you actually think about it. Well, no, but I think a way of phrasing it to an actual child in the real world where you're not trying to have like a snappy piece of movie dialogue is you might say something like the child might be like what's it like after you die and then you can say well do you remember what it was like before you were born and the child will be like no and then you say it's like that
0: or you go you're 12 years old stop thinking about death yeah stop talking to these motherfucking ghosts (laughs) fuck these ghosts (laughs) (laughs) Um, and and also like you go you know if a kid goes what's a ghost made of you just go "Uh, smoke yeah you don't go you know when your limb falls asleep they're
1: made of that like it makes no sense well no but obviously if a child asked me what a ghost made of i would say ghosts do not exist (laughs) obviously they're not real because i don't want to freak them out but in the universe where ghosts exist i thought that was a nice explanation anyway stop pooing all over my good stuff (laughs) Like, we've Sorry. got enough time for that later. <laughs> um, the last thing I'm going to say is, I also like the idea that ghosts forget who they were in life, and I think that's quite a poignant little little idea, because in a way that means they're doomed to remain as ghosts, because without remembering who they were in life, how can they know what they need to resolve? Because in the logic of this movie, ghosts can only cross over to, you know, the afterlife when they resolve whatever unresolved issues they have, and that actually leads to, like, an interesting little twist in the movie, which I quite enjoy, which is where Carrigan, the main antagonist in a plot development that borders on completely ludicrous, she finds out that there's a formula that exists that can bring a ghost back to life With no evidence that it actually works either No, no, but basically long story short, she wants to access this safe she knows she can go through the walls of the safe if she's a ghost, so she dies, she becomes a ghost and she manages to get the treasure that she's hunting for, and then the nice little twist is that because she succeeded in getting what she wanted she sort of resolved the thing that she that was unresolved for her yeah. she ended up crossing over into the afterlife and not being able to enjoy those things so i thought that was just like a nice little way of bringing that concept full circle there's you know
0: there's one word that uh would stop her wanting to kill herself or her accomplice to achieve that dynamite
1: yeah yeah blow that fucking safe up man just get in there well yeah and now we're getting into basically the logical inconsistencies of the film Of which there are plenty. There are infinite. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So yeah, I think that's more or less it for me. Like there are some things that I do think you can enjoy in this movie, but they smell of unfulfilled potential rather than anything else. There's some interesting concepts, there's some cool ideas, but they're not really explored enough for it to make a difference on my overall enjoyment of the movie. Mm. But yeah, shall we take a quick break and then talk about the things we enjoyed a bit less in the movie? Yeah, let's do it.
0: I saw a ghost, and it had a head, and it was round, and it was white,
1: and see-through, and it... Dad, please, do not think I'm as crazy as I thought you were. Okay, Ollie, so why do you start us off by telling me about some of the bad stuff in this movie?
0: Yeah, I just want to start by talking about probably the most important negative of this film is, like, you said, the inconsistencies of its Mm -hmm. logic. What are the rules in this film? (laughs) What are the rules, man? There are, no rules. <laughs> there are no rules. It's madness. Like, it's actually incoherent madness. Because, as far as I'm concerned, I think ghosts are a decent horror antagonist. Mm. And what you usually associate with ghosts is that they are apparitions, I suppose. Yeah. And they don't have any sort of physical traits to them. So mm. they pass through walls, they're sort of like a, a feeling in a room, mm. those sorts of things. And there just seems to be, like, a horrible inconsistency with how the ghosts actually operate within the world. So, like, mm-hmm. one minute they can pick shit up and move things around and blah, blah, blah. The other minute they basically are transient. Mm. Like, what What are the rules, mate?
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell you either. And I think that the main inconsistency that I noticed with the ghosts... Uh, ghosts? Goats. <laughs> <laughs> I would watch this fucking movie if it was cast entirely with goats. Casper the Friendly Goat. <laughs> With his mean uncles. Fuck these goats. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get rid of them. Uh...
0: (laughs) This house is infested with goats. Get the goat doctor on the horn. (laughs) (laughs) The goat therapist.
1: (laughs) Jesus Christ. But yeah, I thought the main inconsistency with the ghosts was that at one point Casper insists that as a ghost he cannot hurt Wednesday. I say Wednesday, he cannot hurt Cat. Um, so he insists that he can't hurt cat he's like don't worry I can't hurt you however mere moments earlier the movie shows the uncle ghosts grabbing swords and chasing cat and literally trying to stab her and the swords they use are sharp enough to stab through a door so there's no reason to believe they wouldn't have the same effect on a 12 year old girl and uh, they're also able to turn their body parts into guns and physically shoot things so it doesn't make any sense for them to say oh don't worry ghosts can't hurt you when they clearly are shown to be physically threatening throughout the movie
0: what Casper actually means is that ghosts can't hurt you but the
1: weapons that they wield definitely can (laughs) yeah literally that's the logic and also the uncle ghosts at one point decide they really like the doctor so they basically plot to murder him so that he can join their gang and it's just like that also implies that they can harm him so that was just like a glaring contradiction from the off for me basically yeah
0: and like even like stupid little things like the way that Bill Pullman overcomes the ghostly trio of Fatso, Stretch and Stinky is by sucking them into a hoover Mm. and I was like, well just leave the hoover guys, you can pass through fucking walls Like you can get out of a hoover bag, like what are you doing in there it's all hypothetical because we're talking about ghosts, but Be consistent with your logic. Yeah. Like, if you understand what they can and can't do from the off, it makes it a lot easier to understand the stakes and to get involved. But when they can do one thing and then instantly do the exact opposite with no
1: repercussions, it makes it annoying, basically. Definitely. A bit headache-inducing as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, there's a bit where doesn't Casper, like, basically travel through a telephone
1: wire? Yeah, he can't leave the house unless he's in the form of electricity, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but but then also that is, he's shown throughout the movie to be able to leave the house anyway because he goes and he flies to that cliff top with cat.
0: Also the uncles go to the horse races.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, they go to the bar. So again, it's just generally a little bit inconsistent. Speaking of the uncles, by the way, I think this is maybe a neat little segue into something that's on my list, but how immediately and consistently annoying are those cats? (laughs) characters yeah from the second they are on screen they are just mind-numbingly cacophonous and obnoxious and abrasive Mm. and two of them are basically just different versions of joe pesci for some reason (laughs) and interestingly they're both played by actors called joe which i found was kind of funny and the other is just like (laughs) funny fat man yeah every moment with them is completely excruciating yeah like completely they seem to embody that really like 90s trope of cartoon characters with attitude. Yeah. You know, because they're just like, eh, come on, skin bag. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs>
0: like- yeah, they are super irritating. And what they, what the film desperately tries to do is, after 25 minutes of them being irritating and horrible, hmm. tries to claw back some form of quote-unquote humanity into them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So they become sympathetic. And by that point, you're so irritated by them, they're just like, oh, just fuck off. I don't want to know about these anymore. And actually, that might be why, at the end of the film, last 25 minutes of the film, they're not even in it are they they don't even appear
1: yeah literally and every single one of their appearances is announced by the sounds of their voices slowly getting louder so you (laughs) hear them before you see them and there was points where the characters like Kat and her dad they could hear their voices and they'd go oh god these guys again yeah. and it was like mirroring my exact <laughs> feelings at the time i was like yeah, oh for god's sake yeah. i just can't deal with these ghosts um what else did you have on your list let's talk about the cameos shall we oh let's please <laughs> talk about the cameos this was the <laughs> biggest thing for me that i really couldn't stand about this movie but um i'll let you get into that
0: so we've got i'll just run them off don novello mm-hmm. dan Aykroyd, fred rogers terry murphy clint eastwood rodney dangerfield mel gibson I mean, the one that really... It was quite early on in the film, but the one that got an audible fuck off from me was when Dan Aykroyd turned up.
1: Yeah, I groaned. Yeah, That was like the cheapest cameo ever. So um, when Carrigan and Dibs are exploring different ways to exercise the ghosts from this house, at one point Dan Aykroyd comes out in his full Ghostbusters costume and goes, who are you going to call? Somebody else. And I yeah. groaned. I groaned out loud. It was the cheapest cameo. Mm. I mean, I say at the time in my notes, I wrote down, this is literally." the cheapest cameo ever but this film managed to prove me wrong with numerous ones as it went down the line basically
0: (laughs) and also can i like um, ask the question like why Why are they in it?
1: I honestly couldn't tell you. Okay, I think that Dan Aykroyd's cameo. It sort of makes sense, a little bit. It makes sense. It's cheap and it is shallow and it adds nothing positive to the movie. But within the context of the movie, it makes sense. Mm. But the most egregious ones were the Clint Eastwood, Mel Gibson, and Rodney Dangerfield cameos. (laughs) Just to explain that, the dad becomes possessed by the ghosts of the uncles and he goes to sort of like splash some cold water over his face in the bathroom. And he starts shaking his head about, and then suddenly in the mirror, his face morphs into Clint Eastwood, and he's just like, Do you feel lucky, punk? And then he ma- warps into Rodney Dangerfield and says something, and then he warps into Mel Gibson. It's like they're plucked completely out of the sky, <laughs> and it's just, it feels literally like it's just a way of showing some familiar faces in exchange for audience recognition. Yeah, it was so weird. It just was completely out of place. To be fair,
0: like, I don't believe in ghosts, but one thing that would make me scared of them is. Is knowing that they had the power
1: to turn me into mel gibson <laughs> <laughs> yeah they have the power to turn you into an aging anti-semite <laughs> yeah
0: uh, that that terrifies me
1: yeah definitely um i want to talk about the cameo of don novello for a second because this was one that i actually had to look up yeah so at the beginning of the movie carrigan and dibs they call a priest to uh, come and exercise the house basically and I'd never heard of Don Novello and to someone who is unfamiliar with that reference it is the most random thing. Is He's an SNL figure isn't he? Yeah he's like some kind of comedian from sort of the 70s and 80s and onwards and I was watching it and I was like why is this random priest being portrayed as like a stoner with a super ambiguous accent and he sort of reminded me of Tony Iommi combined with Cheech Marin and then he goes into the house and he comes out of the house and his head is screwed on backwards in a laughably bad moment of CGI. Yeah. But like, so I did a bit of research and uh, Don Novello is basically an American comedian who was most famous for playing a priest called Father Guido Sarducci as his onstage comedic persona. Okay. And this is also how he's credited in the movie so the actor Don Novello is credited as his comedic persona. So the movie's doing that thing that the Pokemon movie also did where it exists in this world as well as its own world and... (laughs) I just hated that moment so much. I hated it when it first happened because it made zero sense. And I was like, "What? this is just a really weird casting choice. And then when I looked it up, I hated it even more because it was just (laughs) clearly another shameless, cheap cameo.
0: Well, the other thing about that cameo as well is it's obviously an intertextual reference to the film The Exorcist as well, isn't it? Because he's dressed in the same way. And they're another thing that are just sort of like randomly splashed into the narrative as he's references to films that the target audience has probably absolutely zero knowledge of. So there's a unnecessary Apocalypse Now reference yeah. as well. And it has no bearing on anything. And I, I thought that it might be the producers going, it's good to make a film for kids, but what we really need to do is to make a film that also engages the adults in some way, because obviously the kids don't go to the cinema on their own. There's going to be adults in that theatre and they need something to chortle that as we bombard their kids with this trash for 90 minutes. And I think that those cameos and those sort of references to other films
1: are just a cheap and easy way of doing that. Yeah, because there's plenty of ways of making your children's movie appeal to adults, and the cleverest way is to write jokes that you know will go over children's (laughs) heads. But Paddy, that requires effort and forethought and skill. This is true, but this film takes the complete opposite tact of writing funny jokes. Instead it does what I like to call thing exists equals funny. So basically, (laughs) all the way through the movie, there are so many examples of thing exists, that's funny. So there's the aforementioned Apocalypse Now reference, which is basically where the Uncle Ghosts turn into choppers as they enter the kitchen and are singing Ride of the Valkyries, which is obviously that piece of music from Apocalypse Now there's a moment where Casper to impress Kat, makes himself really hench and impersonates Arnold Schwarzenegger by saying come with me if you want to live so that's a Terminator 2 reference but he's also Superman at the same time yes and also Superman at the same time
0: (laughs) this is madness this is madness what we're
1: talking about here it's madness he's
0: impersonating simultaneously
1: Arnold Schwarzenegger and Superman to hit on a girl (laughs) (laughs) It's just so bad And then there's also a Wizard of Oz reference Which is where the Uncle Ghosts uh, Scream, I'm melting As they dissolve into the floor Which is like the most overdone reference of all time Probably in movie history It's just like the lowest form of humour Literally just saying, this thing exists Therefore funny Is so lazy, like so lazy And you're right, I think what you said earlier Of it just being like a cheap way of appealing To the adults in the audience (laughs) It definitely wasn't fucking cheap, financially Yeah, financially, it wasn't even cheap. Creatively, it was bankrupt. But in terms of... (laughs) (laughs) but in terms of like yeah financially they had to actually pay to create those visual effects with cgi yeah every time the movie did that to me it just made me lose patience with it and it just reminded me what a cynical product i was consuming yeah absolutely yeah so uh what else do you have um
0: another question for you Mm -hmm. why is casper a sex pest (laughs) i don't know
1: i don't know (laughs) but he is isn't he that's not just me
0: (laughs) no he is and like i you know Casper the friendly ghost he's not friendly he's he's just like
1: like rapey casper the horny ghost
0: <laughs> yeah but horny is sort of an implication that there's no negative effects to his behavior the way he behaves what it felt to me was like he's pretending to be a friend in order to get some sort of sexual gratification from the 13 year old girl yeah that doesn't come to light until a little bit later on so initially you think like he's he says doesn't he at the start of the movie he's like i'm lonely yeah and you're like oh poor casper like he needs a mate But then Sort of as the movie progresses You realise that What he actually means By I'm so known Is like I need to have sex With something
1: Yeah Basically I need a girlfriend And it also At the beginning of the movie It feels like He's recruited The services of The doctor Because he's lonely And depressed And he needs to talk To someone And he sees On the TV This doctor's services As a therapist For ghosts Being advertised Right Um, And so at first You're like Oh he's got Unresolved issues He's a ghost He's seen as a ghost Psychiatrist Here's a way for someone Someone to literally help me resolve my issues But then as the film progresses It's basically implied that Casper only wanted to get the professor there To try it on with his daughter Mm. And him just wanting a girlfriend Regardless of how problematic it is It's considerably less interesting Mm. It's just been done to death But yeah, I fully agree There's a lot of moments where it just made me cringe I mean, there's a bit where Cat is sat on his bed And he's like, there's a girl on my bed Yes! And it's just like, ugh. Yeah, I
0: know. And also, like, his catchphrase is, can I keep you? Oh, I hate
1: that. Oh. When he first (laughs) said that line, it made me cringe into another reality. If that
0: doesn't shout, like, sex offender, I don't know what does. (laughs) Yeah,
1: literally. Can I keep you in a little cage with a little bowl?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's something like, you know, Silence the Lambs-esque. Yeah, exactly. But, like, the thing I hate as well is, like, you never get the same impression that cat's feeling the same way back. Do Mm. you know what I mean? Like, like she's lonely for good reason. Like her mum's died, and you know, she's sad and she doesn't have any friends at school or whatever. And like she finds Casper and then she's friendly to Casper, like they're mates. Mm. But Casper's thinking he's only got one thing on his mind, really, hasn't he? Yeah. When he meets her. And I just think like their relationship is so sort of at odds with both of their intentions like she wants she needs a friend he wants a girlfriend
1: yeah I don't want to be too harsh with the movie because I know that it's trying to present it as like a wholesome crush because Casper's a child and she's a child and it's meant to be like a crush thing so I don't want to shit on it too much for that but that can I keep you line is absolutely the worst yeah I didn't need a romance between those two characters no make them friends man just have
0: them as compatriots who have to work Work together like there's no need to shoehorn in a fucking love story between pre-teens yeah for fuck's sake like we don't need romance in this film at all get the fuck rid of it you know
1: yeah there are ways of exploring those kind of friendships at that age and there's ways of exploring unrequited crushes or even mutual crushes you know there's a way of doing it mm. the point is it didn't add anything to the movie them having a friendship had a lot of potential to add stuff to the movie which again i'll go into greater depth with later Later. But that romance added nothing to the movie. Absolutely nothing. And she fancies some other guy throughout the entire film anyway. Yeah. He's set up as the love
0: interest, and then actually he's just a wanker that wants to do one over on him, on her, because he's too scared of his girlfriend. Yeah. And also can let's pick that up as well. One plot floor leads to another with this film. What is their plan? So basically, Kat's a new girl at the school and you know, filmmaking one oh one says new kid in school must have bully mm. to face off against. That's mm. just sort of like the written fucking law in Hollywood, is that if you've got a loner who joins a new school, you've got to have some horrible kids in the school who want to pick on them. Like, you have to have a bully to counteract them and be the antagonist. And that's sort of set up right away, isn't it? So Mm. she's walking to her new school and two people pass on bikes next to her. We've got this young blonde girl who cycles past and looks back with sort of like a menacing face and then a boy rides past, turns around and smiles. So you're like, okay, there's the enemy, there's the love interest. Set up nicely right at the start there. And then they formulate some weird plot again another sort of strange plot point why is the class party suddenly at her house?
1: Oh let me um yes may I interject here because I actually had a question for you. Yeah you just have to preamble all of the
0: discussion about that because that makes me just saying why is the party at the house if someone hasn't seen this movie that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever.
1: I'll explain that basically because this is something that I wanted to raise as well so in the scene where Kat is introduced to her new classmates, the kids firstly seem unusual cruel to cat, and obviously kids can be cruel to each other that's nothing new but the, the weird thing is that the teacher's just standing by and watching it and mm. you're a teacher <laughs> yeah. so I wanted to ask you does the way that this teacher <laughs> behaves strike you as you know normal behaviour because to me it was very odd so basically the class find out their Halloween dance has been cancelled and they just invite themselves to her house yeah including the teacher yeah he's just like yep guess that's the idea and then another girl like the mean girl who who doesn't like her, she's, like, saying she wants to host the party at her house. So they take a vote, and the girl, the popular girl, is like, who wants to have the party at my house? And no one votes. And then the teacher says, and who votes for Kat's house? And everyone's like, (laughs) yeah. And I'm no teacher, but something tells me that that's absolutely not how teaching works. And throughout that whole process, Kat doesn't even get a word in.
0: It's entirely bizarre. Now, hold on, sorry to interject. To answer your question, no, that isn't normal. Yeah. The thing as well is, like, I don't know if this is sort of like a societal norm in the States, because it might be, for all I know, but, like, there's a lot of films that have this scene where new kid is introduced to class, hmm. and the teacher gets them to stand at the front of the class and tell them who they are. Like, that is not a thing yeah. that you ever do as a teacher, because you know, as a professional who works with children, that the last thing that kid wants to do is stand up in front of a class of their peers and tell them their life story. Yeah. You don't let a new, vulnerable, sheepish child walk into your classroom and go, there's a new person there, guys. <laughs> Everyone, look at that person. They are new in the class. Everyone, quick, ask them questions. Get them to tell them the life story. Do it, do it, do it, do it. You just don't fucking do that. Do you know what I mean?
1: And then you don't go, party round at new girl's house.
0: What do you think, new girl? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Everyone vote. Okay, it's done. It's just madness. But going going back to my initial question, what is their plan to upset Kat? So they go there, the evil girl who no one knows their name of. I don't know. Can't remember. Whatever. The girl and the begrudging boyfriend go to the party and they want to upset the party. What is their plan for upsetting the party? Because I could not work it out. What they were doing.
1: As far as I can tell, their plan for ruining the party was to dress up in a spooky costume and frighten Kat and embarrass her despite the fact that everyone in the party is also dressed up in spooky (laughs) costumes because it's a Halloween party, and that's completely to be expected, and their costume is no more or less spookier than anyone else's. And and actually what ends up happening is they all applaud the costume, don't they? All the
0: kids in the party start going, yeah, well done, well played, yeah, excellent, yeah. Well,
1: because they get chased out of the house by the ghosts, like the real ghosts, and they think think it's like a bit, you know? (laughs) (laughs) It's just... Oh, mate. It's so dumb. It is so fucking dumb.
0: Oh, it's, it's crazy. Like, this film had more more question marks on it for me than Pokemon movie did. Yeah. And that's fucking saying something. Do you know what I mean? At least the Pokemon movie had some consistency in its ineptitude, but this movie just seems to be just ignoring important logical steps in the narrative. Yeah, There's lots of unanswered questions. Like, for example, another one. Why is it that no authorities turn up when multiple people are murdered or die yeah like she falls off a fuck like um what's her name carrigan carrigan falls off a cliff right she drives her car into a tree and falls off a cliff she drives her car into a tree because she's trying to run down eric idol yeah to get him to die so that he can get into the safe to re- like me reciting <laughs> the narrative of this film is farcical yeah. she tries to run over eric idol so he turns into a ghost so he can get into the safe so then he can drink the potion and come back to life
1: yeah yeah right
0: yeah but in Instead of doing that, Eric Idle throws a brick at her while she's driving the car. She hits a tree. She gets out of the car, doesn't realise that she's on a cliff. She falls off the cliff, dies. Yeah. Right? Eric Idle gets thrown out of a window four storeys up, flies out the window, never comes back. He's dead as well. The dad goes to a bar, walks outside of the bar. Immediately outside of the bar, they're doing road works. He falls down a pit, dies. Three people in the space of less than 24 hours die, and
1: no one... Bats an eyelid. No one cares. <laughs> no one gives a shit. And that actually leads into one of the wider inconsistencies with the movie that I had written down, and that's just basically the way the movie treats the concept of death in general. Like I said, towards the beginning of the movie, oh, there's numerous points throughout the movie where death is treated as quite a somber concept. So I've touched upon it already, but there's a few moments where the movie takes what's essentially like a really complex and serious topic and makes it sort of palatable to younger audiences basically, but then this is completely undone towards the end of the movie where the deaths of the Professor and Carrigan, these deaths are treated as entirely comedic not to mention that the impact of death is completely minimised by the way you know, they're able to effortlessly resurrect the Professor with the Lazarus machine, which is that potion. They have a potion that they use in conjunction with this machine and that can bring ghosts back to life so the attitude towards death as a result feels like really inconsistent and jumbled and the Movie has like this tiny core of like philosophical weight to it about death, which is just completely washed away by its conclusion, like completely done away with, basically.
0: Yeah, but like the question I want to ask as well is like this Lazarus machine, right? That can turn ghosts into people again. Hmm. What happens to the bodies of the people when they die? So like Carrigan falls off a cliff, smashed into smithereens. Yeah, he falls down a trench, probably similar sort of thing. Eric Idle as well. Like they all fall from great heights to die which i find interesting but like he comes back out of the machine what about his body in the trench is it a case that this Lazarus machine can teleport them back into the machine itself and they come out untouched like what happens there i think
1: the implication is because they basically gloss over the science of that so the potion that they use in conjunction With the Lazarus machine, I've got it written down here They're just like, what is that? And he's like, I don't know Some kind of instant primordial Soup thing, which is, you know, a conveniently Simple explanation for what it is <laughs> And basically what I think it is Is the Lazarus machine Takes the soul of this person And using this instant primordial Soup thing, which is literally what it's Described as in the movie, yeah. they create an, Essentially a new body, or a Clone. So a
0: clone, yeah. so there's actually Like, now there's two Bill One's a mangled corpse at the bottom of a trench <laughs> and the other one is an untouched copy that comes out of the machine. Is that, Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, that's what I think the implication is, definitely.
1: <laughs> which, which, to be fair, I enjoy that. I enjoy that implication. That's a cool idea. Like, make that the film. Yeah, literally, just Bill Pullman keeps racking up corpses <laughs> of himself <laughs> and, yeah. and ca- he alone carries the memory of his life in this new, fresh body. It's like
0: Groundhog Day, but every time he dies, another copy is made of him.
1: and like there's just like hundreds upon hundreds of bill pullman's (laughs) just slowly (laughs) piling up in the town of friendship (laughs) yeah oh man yeah that was um really really bad really really bad um so i've just got a few more things on my list Firstly, I wanted to touch on Dibs and Carrigan, who, as we've mentioned, are the main antagonists of the movie. And basically, in a similar way to the ghost uncles, as soon as they appear, which is very soon into the movie, like you have the introductory little opening scene that I mentioned earlier, and then I think I believe the next scene is Dibs and Carrigan discussing what Carrigan will receive in the will yeah, that's right. with their lawyer. As soon as they appear... Firstly, can I just say... How many kids movies have we watched that start with the reading of a will for some reason? Like, what is it with the 90s and children's movies beginning with complex legal processes? Like, you know, it doesn't... Like, why is that a thing? That's no longer a thing, surely.
0: Nothing appeals to children more than a, than a gruelling legal process about a deceased
1: relative. Yeah, exactly. Like, because what it was like, at the beginning of Mouse Hunt as well, they had a very similar scene. Or that's like the whole jumping off point for Mouse Hunt. But yeah, basically, as soon as Dibs and Carrigan appear, the movie starts to get shaky. They are so cartoonish and ridiculous from the jump that their motivations and a lot of their dialogue feels like completely out of place and not particularly believable Mm. and they're clearly meant to be like these comedic antagonists but throughout the whole movie for me they fall flat there's not a single scene that i enjoy with them and as we've touched on they make the jump from these really unfunny cartoonish villains to murderous psychopaths really quickly like i got whiplash from how quick it was, so Carrigan decides that the best way to get the buried treasure is to kill Dibs, but it's just weird, it's like literally they flick a switch, Yeah. at first they're like human versions of Ren and Stimpy, and then suddenly, (laughs) and then, because she's literally like, Dibs you idiot, like all the way through the movie, at first they're like that, and then suddenly they're both trying to kill each other, Yeah. it's really, really bizarre, and they're just really, really unlikable.
0: And the thing with it as well is like, Eric Idle, Dibs, he's sort of like a relatively sympathetic character, isn't he? Because he's basically just like psychologically abused by Kerrigan for the whole film. Mm. But then... To sort of justify his death at the end, he has this horrible, like vitriolic monologue mm. where he's saying, like, "I'm gonna get a dog and call it Carrigan, and it's gonna be a bitch just, just like, like you. you." Yeah, it's horrible. Stuff like that, and it's really hor- it's really horrifying. And like, well, hold on, the whole movie uh, so far has been you as just like the butt end of the joke and being physically and emotionally abused by this woman. Like, be a sympathetic character. Like, have a redeeming arc to you. Like like maybe he's the one who pulls the trigger on the machine or something like that. But it just ends up being, like, he's just as nasty as his boss. Yeah. And I don't think that fits very well because all the way along I was thinking, like, oh, poor Eric, he's being absolutely battered here.
1: Yeah. That was something that I noted as well because it does come completely out of left field. Basically, she's a ghost at this point and he mocks her by saying he's going to use the treasure to buy a big expensive house with lovely purple wallpaper and great big green carpets <laughs> and a little dog called Carrigan, a bitch just like you and he like spits the word out and yeah it's really unnecessary and really venomous and that actually ties into so i have that written down as part of my section of sort of generally just problematic content in the movie so there's like yeah this little vein of misogyny that runs through it where you know he refers to her as a bitch and at one point when she comes back from the dead she's like the bitch is back like you know and it's just kind of uh, and there's just um a couple of other throwaway lines that I think are problematic or have just generally aged really poorly. Two main ones actually. So at one point the uh, doctor is hiding Kat in a closet to keep her safe from the ghosts. so he puts her into the closet and um, basically I think it's Fatso finds her and goes looks like we've got a closet case here and it's basically an attempt at a pun which in the context of the movie doesn't make any sense so referring to someone as a closet case is basically a derogatory term for closeted homosexuals that's what it means yeah, yeah. so essentially the movie is using an opportunity presented by a cheap pun to go haha ha, gay people mm. and then the <laughs> yeah. other line that really stood out to me other than the bitch line and that line can i sorry just a just
0: pause you there like and as well with Fatsa as a character there's a point as well where he is used as a means to make a joke about cross-dressing yes so yes. like that character is used twice for some horrible sort of like homophobic jokes they're just sort of throwaway jokes that are used cheaply yeah just like the cameos are in the same way just like a kid's not going to get these but an adult understands why this would be funny inverted commas
1: yeah literally it's just like oh gay people funny let's just mention gayness because that's inherently funny male-coded ghost dressed in female clothing funny oh it's <laughs> funny it's just a so funny and and then yeah there's another fatso moment which i thought this is probably the most egregious joke in the whole film to be fair because it actually related to an actual real person so basically the character is a fatso basically exists to use fat shaming as a source of yeah. humor humor generally but there's one moment where he's just like stuffing his face and he just says, Oh, I feel like Oprah on hiatus Oh yeah And it's like, yeah, Oprah's really famous Especially at the time she was really famous And so it's probably, she feels like low-hanging fruit in terms of humour You know, what harm does it do Because she's like this super famous, ubiquitous presence But it's also easy to forget that she's a real human being Can you imagine her watching this movie for the first time And being <laughs> labelled as synonymous with gluttony Like, you know, it's really harsh So what's what's more
0: cynical for you, Pad? the gratuity of the cameos and the intertextual references or the inappropriate adult jokes?
1: Well, I think... I don't see the inappropriate adult jokes as cynical. I just see them as mean-spirited and in very poor taste.
0: But I think that they're there for the same reason, are they not? They're there to keep the adults entertained while the kids watch the ghosts run around.
1: Yeah, I would say then in that case the jokes are worse because they wouldn't go over the kids' heads. The kids would understand them.
0: The kids would laugh at the fat jokes, wouldn't they? Yeah,
1: the kids would... And and the cross-dressing. Yeah, and the kids would take the problematic message that those jokes are sending across as a given. Um, And, you know, the amount of people that probably got called fatso at school after this movie. You can only imagine it. Um, but yeah that's more or less me done with bad stuff uh, was there anything else you wanted to specifically pick up on on your list
0: uh, I think that's it I mean again sort of what we said about the Pokemon episode this is not the extent of the ineptitude of this movie this yeah. is just what we can cope with in the hour that we have to, to deconstruct it Yeah. but I think as far as I'm concerned I think we've covered the main things that I wanted to talk about yeah, yeah. what a sorry state of affairs this movie was yeah
1: can we just say let's just end this section and just say It was trash, wasn't it? It was just trash.
0: Oh, it was awful. And the fact that, like, the thing that you preambled with about someone who's writing for, like, a relatively credible online source saying how endearing this movie is, it really, really isn't. It's really awful.
1: Yeah. Some of the things that author mentioned in the article as well, I'll send it over to you at some point, but one of the things that she mentioned, she makes note of the cameos, like, she mentions um, Dan Aykroyd's cameo, and she's like, oh my god, is that Dan Aykroyd? I am screaming. And then you know the Mel Gibson cameos and stuff happens. she's like oh my god so many cameos and she treats it as like this like really positive thing it's the exact opposite <laughs> just keep eating the shit just keep putting the shit in your mouth, putting the shit in your face that they feed you. Just keep doing it. Just keep consuming the shit and mindlessly not questioning it. Although credit to her, she did pick up on the fact that the fat jokes were really bad. Um, but that was one of the only negative things she identified in the movie. She even thought the relationship between Casper and Kat was cute.
0: Oh, dearie me. Yeah. Can I keep you as cute as it?
1: Yeah, I honestly, I honestly despaired as soon as I read through that. And it made me realise how important this podcast probably is because <laughs> yes. honestly if you are so blinded by nostalgia that you think this movie is yeah. still good
0: you're in deep fucking trouble
1: yeah just seriously reconsider your choices please reconsider your taste a little bit yeah 100% but yeah um so i guess if you're done shall we just move on to talk about the changes we would like to make to the movie i think so
0: Can't. Oh. can Okay, Paddy, so yeah, we've talked about the good and the bad. And as always, let's talk about things that we would change about the film. So do you have any sort of rewrites or rescheduling that you would do to this film?
1: Yeah, so there's quite a... I had a few ideas in terms of how I might approach this, but basically I thought the best way to proceed with sort of a rewrite of this movie would be to have the movie focus on and really run with the idea of Dr. Harvey being a psychiatrist for the dead, and I'm going to need you to stay with me on this, but basically No, sorry,
0: not being a psychiatrist for the dead, being a psychiatrist for the living impaired
1: Yes, I'd have the movie focus on the idea of Dr. Harvey being a psychiatrist for the living impaired, and his theory that ghosts need to resolve their issues is seen as a last resort by people who believe they are being haunted, but they've tried all the traditional routes of exorcism, seance, you know all of that stuff, and so they think, right last resort, here's a ghost doctor, basically (laughs) I'm at my wits end, maybe he can talk to these ghosts and get them to resolve their trauma and then help them pass over so you cut out absolutely everything to do with Carrigan to do with Dibs, to do with the Lazarus machine, to do with the uncles, the the party, the romance, all of that. You just get rid of it and just have the movie be about a man who, in his inability to process his own grief, has created a kind of sham career for himself as a medium or doctor for the dead in hopes of one day contacting his wife. So he drags his daughter from job to job, as he does in the movie, simply to try and earn a living, but she's increasingly frustrated by constantly having to be on the road with him. So her frustration at him also masks her own unresolved feelings at her mum's death. So one day, Dr. Harvey receives a phone call from a relative of Casper, who is worried that his spirit is still in the house, but you never really see him, so you never see Casper. And if you do, he's not a cartoon character. (laughs) So I like the idea of him just being invisible, like you know, in the beginning of the movie, and his ways of communicating with them remain subtle. So maybe Kat is the only one that can hear him in her head, and Dr. Harvey has to speak to him through her. You know, maybe she's the medium, he's the psychiatrist, and she's relaying the conversation through herself to him. And so throughout this process, and in her private moments, Kat befriends Casper, Mm -hmm. and there are, like, continuous parallels drawn between him as a ghost and Kat as someone who is bereaved, so eventually in helping Casper Accept his own death and cross over Dr. Harvey and Kat are also Able to accept the death of her Mother by proxy especially if she's Being used as the medium through which this Communication happens mm-hmm. and so that's How I'd frame it I'd do it as kind of like a Not so much a screwball Goofy cartoony comedy I'd do it more as like a heartwarming Family indie movie Kind of like Ghost but for kids You <laughs> yeah, know yeah. and just really Lean into the ghost psychiatrist angle to achieve that but that's basically how i changed the movie
0: okay cool i would frame it similarly i would have the house that they're in Is their family home? Like, I wouldn't have them moving in there. Mm. Bill Pullman is just a psychiatrist. It doesn't even matter about his profession, but he's not a fucking ghost psychiatrist. That's for fucking sure. (laughs) So they're just in the house, and they're mourning the death of the mother. And it just so happens that the previous owners of the house, they had a a son that died, so Casper would be there as well. And the mum and Casper both come back, okay? Mm. So they're in the house. They're haunted. You can have the same bullshit where, you know, they're initially scared of the ghosts, but then they come round, and realise that they're benevolent or whatever. And the mum and Casper both say, we are here because we have got unfinished business in the living world and we can't move on to the afterlife until that's solved. And no one knows why they are both there. They're both there for a reason, but they don't know why. And, you know, you can have the the ghostly trio, so Stretch, Stinky and Fatso, they can be there as well. And I think what they would be is like, they would be ghosts that are trying to drag Casper and the mum towards the negative end of the spectrum I was like, oh no, yeah. stick around and you can be horrible to human beings and it can be awful. And basically that the premise of the film would be Christina Ricci and Bill Pullman trying to figure out why Casper's there and why the mum's there. And the resolution for me would be that Casper has to learn how to stand up to his uncles and the mm. mum has to help them move on from her death. Mm. And I couldn't really figure out a good way of making that happen. But the basic basic idea is that Casper and the Mamas are, st- are there and they have to help each other out to then both go into the afterlife effectively. Right. And then the ghostly trio are there to try and stop that from happening. Yeah. That's the way I would approach it. So you get rid of this all this bullshit about like an inheritance of a house that is haunted and all this rubbish. And just have it that Casper and the mum need to figure out how to get into the afterlife and the ghostly trio are there to stop them from doing that. And then Bill Pullman and Christina Ricci are in the middle trying to go between the two, trying to figure it all out. That's how I would frame it.
1: Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I think with both of our versions of the movie, the key point is trimming the fat, as with most of the movies. There's so much going on in this movie that does not need to be happening.
0: Yeah, and what you would do with our two alternatives is you would get rid of all those weird loopholes that they've had to put in there to justify Mm. things happening. One thing I'd definitely fucking do is establish what ghosts can and can't do. Yeah. Straight off the bat.
1: Just properly.
0: Yeah, just 100% within the first 10 minutes this is what they are able to do and this is what they're not able to do Yeah. so maybe you could have it that you know uh, the mum and Casper rely on something physical happening that they can't do so they can't pull levers and open doors and pick things up Mm. and that's where the human characters come in because they can help them do that because they have the ability to do it yeah that's how I would change it around
1: no I like that I like that a lot and then there's a reason why they are sort of in mutual aid of each other
0: yeah you can use your ghostly abilities to do stuff that the humans can't and vice versa. That's how you work it.
1: Yeah. I kind of saw my interpretation of it as almost like, I mean, I said ghost, but for kids, I actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'd prefer to see it as more like a ghost story. You remember that movie, A Ghost Story? Oh, what a
0: great movie that is. Yeah.
1: What a, what a good film. I, You and I watched that together, I believe. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, fantastic. And that sort of centers around a ghost trying to find some kind of resolution and move yeah. on and be able to pass over. I mean it's an adult film but it's also done in quite a cutesy way Mm. so I would sort of do it similar to that I think, but with sort of the characters from this movie and you could even have the ghost, you could even have Casper looking similar to the ghost from a ghost story where he's just covered in a white sheet and it's very traditional and you could have it so that Cat's the only one that can see him, you know, or something something like that. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, I really like your version, I like my version, I think we've um, done a good job there.
0: (laughs) Rescuing a shit
1: show. (laughs) Oh, mate, because this movie, it throws so much at you that it is just like, I don't know where to begin and my instinct was like with a couple of other movies, we've looked at my instinct was just like just don't make the movie but then i was like no you know there are there are a couple of kernels of good stuff in this movie that i think if nurtured properly could have grown into something nice yeah but yeah i like our i like our reinterpretations that's i think that's a positive note to end it on more or less but sadly we're not ending here so there's just one last question to ask you ollie which is Do you think you need rose-tinted glasses to appreciate this movie, or do you think it holds up to scrutiny?
0: You definitely need rose-tinted glasses to appreciate this movie. Yeah. I didn't really have them before watching it yesterday, but if you're someone who has a fond memory of this film, then, yeah, you definitely need to have that maintained when going into the second screening you need to be like that journalist that you mentioned earlier because this film is just fucking bullshit. Yeah. And you shouldn't touch it with a barge pole if you've got a fond memory of it to be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I would say this movie falls into the category of movies that can only be appreciated with nostalgia and that's say. not only, you know, for people that grew up with this movie but in terms of the content of the movie itself because it relies so heavily on referential humor some of those references you can still recognize but there are a few that have are so dated that you know yeah. it relies super heavily on on having an awareness of and appreciation for the time and place in which it was released. Yeah. So yeah, I think you definitely need roasting in specs to appreciate this movie. I would hesitate to say it. It holds up even a tiny bit. No, not
0: at all. Of all the films that we've watched so far, this is one that I, even more so than the Pokemon movie, believe it or not, like this is one that I just never want to look at again. Yeah. Like at least with the Pokemon movie, like there was uh curiosity that like, I want to watch that again to try and figure out what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. but with this one, I'm just like, I just am done. I do not want to look at it anymore. It's horrible.
1: yeah agreed okay well um with that out of the way (laughs) with that out of the way before we go i just want to say a big thank you as always to dilettante for letting us use their song my dress as our theme tune but yeah in the meantime i have been paddy and i've been ollie and we have been rose tinted thank you very much for listening and we shall see you all next time Before you go,
0: don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. Remember, you can also follow us on Instagram at Rose Movies. Thanks again for listening.